It's wonderful to be back with you this morning. It always is. Um, nice to be with you on a day that for many is a day of remembrance. I was thinking, driving in this morning, as many of you have heard me speak here before, you know that I used to live in Murfreesboro. And in 2001, um, September 11th, I just moved to Baltimore, Maryland. And I was feeling pretty isolated. I was 21 years old. I didn't really know anybody there but my roommate. And so when everything happened, I wanted to talk to my family and I wanted to talk to my friends. So I called my parents. My dad said some really cryptic things, which I won't go into now. And then I called my friends. And I didn't, how do I find most of them? Where, how do I get in touch with as many people as I can at once? So for me, what that meant at that time was to call a coffee shop that used to be down the road called the Red Rose Coffee Shop. I don't know if anybody remembers the Red Rose. But it was the hub for me and my friends. This was like... My friend Bingham owned it. Like we, I went there every day after class. I went and got an ashtray right at 5 o'clock when you could start to smoke cigarettes. And then I played cards all night long until my friend's bands played. Like I lived at that coffee shop. So on that day when everything was so frightening and just chaos and didn't know what was going on, I decided to call just because I wanted to hear that my people were okay. Um, and Bingham answered and everybody was freaked out, but it was just nice to have that connection point. That coffee shop was torn down many years ago. Um, and I'm reminded of that now every time I drive to visit with you because I come off down College Street and like there's that empty lot. And it always gives me this little twinge because they haven't done anything with the space and it's just this empty spot where it was just such a meaningful home for so many of us for so long. I had one of my first real senses of community outside of like where I grew up in that spot. And seeing that empty lot this morning it resonated with me that it has a lot to do with what I came here prepared to talk to you about today, which is taking these big changes that happen, the loss of a place that's meaningful to you, that sense of home that may get moved aside because it just doesn't exist, or that time and place has ended, and how do we become or gain more skills where we can be better at handling those moments, better at handling change better at getting more comfortable with whatever it is that we have going on in our lives right at this moment. There is not much more that I long for in this life than peace. At this point in my life, after a years-long series of back-to-back -back changes, some positive and some sources of struggle, when I get really quiet with myself and ask myself what it is that I long for more than anything, it's peace, stability, calm waters, well, at the same time, though, I do long for change in the world. I hope that I am living a life, making choices, and leading others toward new ways of living and thinking that create more love, justice, and joy in the world. So my relationship to change is complicated. While I long for it on a macro scale, I can't help but struggle and with aversion to it when it's happening in my own life, right? especially when it's change that's brought about outside of my own choosing. And I know that I'm not alone in this. In fact, my experience is almost universal. I want things to be different. I just don't necessarily want things for me to be different, right? Leo Tolstoy said that everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one thinks of changing himself. And I think that is true for many. But also, knowing my fellow UUs the way that I do, I know that most of us are pretty comfortable with seeking out change within ourselves and really put in a lot of effort to do so, right? That's one of the reasons that we join together every Sunday. In fact, the idea of improving and changing ourselves within ourselves is deep within our history as a movement. 
Many of you may know the name William Ellery Channing, one of the seminal figures in Unitarian history, and he spoke extensively on the, um, on the topic of self-culture, which can be defined as the exercise of bettering and changing ourselves. He gave lectures about it. It was like one of his core principles, this idea that we can become better people, work more to change ourselves so that we can change the world. And it's a grand and exciting notion. It feels powerful, noble, and full of conviction. So like I said, we're not afraid of changing ourselves, even if it can be uncomfortable. And we're dead set on changing the world because that is our calling. But embracing the change that happens to us, the change that sneaks up and maybe pulls the rug out from under us, that takes things away that we've relied on or even forces us into new ways of doing things, that we didn't ask for, well, that's just hard. That's painful. That is, for most of us, extremely unwelcome. And I think it's fair to say that most of us could stand a change in perspective on how to take these kinds of upheavals and use them for good in our lives, as opposed to sources of resentment and ongoing pain. About five and a half years ago, I took a couple days off work for my birthday. This was about a year, actually exactly a year before I had kids, so I still had that very underappreciated luxury of having all the time in the world to like, take for myself, right? So I took the day off. The company I worked for and loved had this don't work on your birthday policy, so I tacked two days onto that and made a five-day weekend and had a tiny little staycation in my newly renovated home. My wife and I had just come through to the other side of a nine-month renovation of this hundred-year-old house, the first house I've ever owned, and the stress of that renovation, which we were initially told, of course, would take much, much less time than it actually did, had taken a real toll on us. My tiny little break from work was an attempt to care for myself and to give myself a much-needed mini-recharge. I was feeling very centered, very grateful, and very ready for a period of calm in my life after a year and a half that included getting married, buying a house, moving into that house, and then going through the stress of basically rebuilding the house. When I went back to work on the day after my birthday, I was feeling really excited about this new chapter. And I started my day like most others, but I noticed that my boss, whose desk was just next to mine, hadn't shown up by the time 10 a.m. rolled around. That was odd for him. He and I had a meeting that he was getting dangerously close, to, dangerously close to missing, and my texts to him were going unanswered, so I started to grow nervous. There had been some stress in the business lately. Our small 10-year-old startup was about to be acquired by a larger company. A few of our tenured leaders had recently been let go in the name of restructuring. So when my boss seemed to be missing, I wasn't worried that he was sick or had had an accident. I was worried that he'd gotten fired. Less than an hour after my worry started, the head of HR at the company put a meeting on my calendar to give me an update on something, and now I felt sure this was going to be it, the news that my boss and friend had been let go that morning. So I took a lot of deep breaths, I was worried about him, I was uncertain about what this meant for me, who would I work for now, how would the job change, etc. Well, the one thing I didn't worry about that didn't occur to me at all was that the meeting was not just about my boss losing his job, but I was losing mine as well. I experienced the 10 minutes of that meeting in a state of total shock, just like mouth hanging open, surprise. But I do remember so many of these little details from that exchange 
I remember a blue folder that had this non-compete agreement with my severance package that was dramatically slid across the table, like we couldn't touch each other. It was like, very odd. I remember that instead of telling me I was losing my job, that my CEO said the work I was doing was going to be given to other people. Like he was even scared to like say the actual words that I was losing my job. I just looked at him like, what? Like, and I remember the silent, tight smile of the HR person whose job it was just to sit there and like silently witness this exchange. And I was completely unprepared for this scenario, y'all. Like I'd been promoted like four months before. I was so gung-ho, like this was my life. Most of my friends were here. I was so proud to work there. And in an instant, it was gone. And I had seven weeks to figure out what I was going to do next. What followed after that day was a difficult period, to be sure. There was anger, there was grief, there was immense stress and anxiety. I felt ashamed for having lost my job. I felt like I'd let my partner down. But I also experienced an overwhelming outpouring of support. Colleagues gave me recommendations, set me up with job interviews, and just generally showed me a lot of love. I took so many job interviews and sent out so many resumes and watched all seven seasons of The West Wing for the third time. <laughs> it's what I do when I need hope. I just go watch The West Wing. Highly recommend. Once I landed my next job, I still felt hurt. I still felt angry. I felt paranoid. I felt hardened to the idea of forming any friendships at work. Extreme resistance to identifying any part of my life with my job. I remember saying to people that I would, from that point forward, always be a person who had lost their job. I saw it as a defining experience in my life, this experience of suddenly being thrown into deeply uncomfortable and unwanted change. And the truth is, I was right. This experience did change me, deeply and permanently, but not in the ways I initially identified. The years that followed that experience up until now have been much about my journey from being averse to change to embracing it. Because this amazing thing happened, and the job where I landed ended up being the absolute right spot for me. In the years since, I have grown in ways that I thought never would have been possible where I was before. My job provided me opportunities to travel the world, and has provided for my family in ways I didn't anticipate. It's given me the flexibility to start divinity school, to take trips that I wanted to take from work where I needed to work, when I needed to do so. I could work from the beach, which nobody wants to do, but hey, it was an extra week not at my desk, so that was good. And I realized over the years that as pieces of that old wounding fell away, and those old beliefs about what happened to me, well, they landed at my feet, and they composted into this fertile ground for a new life that would grow out of that pain. I'll say again that I know my experience is not unique. All of us have faced sudden and, and unexpected painful periods of change in our lives. And it would be magical thinking to posit that we should just be able to get to a place where we welcome this kind of stuff. Like, nobody wants it to happen. But what I do believe is that we can do some work to alter our relationship to change and even to loss. So that when it does happen, we've got some tools in our toolkit to maybe make things a little bit easier, and to jumpstart into growth a little bit faster. For me, the pathway towards befriending of change has been threefold. First, just to simply acknowledge and eventually accept that change is a constant guiding factor of my existence. Second, 
to reframe how I think about something ending from being a loss or a failure to being about the cycle of life that allows for new growth. And third, to work to get as comfortable and friendly as possible with being right here in the present, which I know I've talked to you about before, and to start letting go of my desire to alter the present in some way. We can alter our relationship to things changing or ending and start befriending our life just as it is. So first, it's the whole change is constant thing. We all know it. We've all heard it a zillion times. We hear it in Buddhist teachings and throughout liter literature. I don't know how many of you have read Parable of the Sower, God is Change. If you haven't read that book, highly recommend. I think deep down we all get it. Like if we dig in deep, we all carry that deep knowing that change is inevitable, that it's a defining characteristic of our lives. Yet still, our desire to stay in control and the tension that creates is perpetual for us. And I think this is one of the hardest parts of change, that hard struggle to stop getting caught up in the desire that this thing isn't happening. We want to leave the present moment and find ourselves creating that tension between what is and what we wish was happening. So we have to adapt our relationship to change to be one that honors the possibility that may come with it the opportunity for something new to grow. My second point is that there's a huge resistance in our culture to seeing things end, right? We associate endings with loss and with failure. As an example, a big one, just as we've set up our economy based on this false notion, I will say that infinite growth is possible and we equate with recession or shrink with failure, instead of as a natural and inevitable part of the systems and cycles that make up life. We indeed do all know that in the natural world, all things have an ending, just as they have a beginning. And we also know that the end of life is necessary for the creation of something new. Yet somehow most of us have found ourselves stuck in this worldview that equates success with somehow defeating the need for that ending. Letting go and letting something come to its end is now what is seen as tragic or as unnatural, when that simply isn't true. We need things to end. We need things to change. We need to let resources move from one effort to the next. So we not only need to get comfortable with change, we have to see it as necessary. So the third point, if we know that change is inevitable, and we've also come to an understanding that it's necessary, well, now we have to do the super hard work of getting comfortable with it. Because that's what's going to be the key ingredient into letting change become a place where we start to thrive. So it's easy to think of our lives and our spiritual lives as going somewhere, trying to get somewhere different. But I found for me that the path is really learning to let go of whatever is keeping me from being right here, right now. To let go of any thoughts, habits, or attitudes that are keeping me from this precious life. To get good with change and to use it to form a better future for ourselves and for our communities, we have to let go of the blocks that are keeping us from being at home in our lives right here, right now. So we ask ourselves, what is in between me and being okay with what is happening here in this moment? What am I holding on to that's keeping me from relaxing into this change to see where I can grow? Am I pretending that change isn't inevitable? Am I clinging to the belief that I can control everything? Am I buying into the idea that the end of something equates with failure, 
Identify what you are holding on to, and then let it go. Buddhist teacher Ajahn Chah said, if you let go a little, you find a little peace. If you let go a lot, you find a lot of peace. And if you let go completely, you find absolute peace and tranquility. <coughs> Excuse me. When we're holding on, when we're wanting something different, we're not here. Letting go of control, letting life be what it is, means opening to change. Opening ultimately to impermanence, yes, but opening to change. We know our bodies hold on to tension, right? We know that we feel it in our shoulders, we feel it in our necks. For me, this is where it is. Every time I get a massage, they're like, where? I'm like, it's all here, it's all right here. Think about our mind doing the exact same thing, holding on to that tension. With perpetual planning, thinking, worrying, we're constantly trying to make things different. We're constantly creating a tension that keeps us from letting go and being one with what is. Imagine what it could feel like to unclench that fist within your mind. The relief. For me, this is a place I'm always constantly striving to get to. When we say okay to the change that is coming and ask it to teach us, we may just be creating the space to experience even more of the wonder and goodness and possibility that is around us at every moment. When we can see that something ending is indeed new ground on which life can grow, and we can, I pray, begin to be open to more joy, ready to take more action, and filled with so much more peace. May it be so.